0: Here's the big question. How is it that most entrepreneurs hustle and are always busy and struggle to take just one step forward only to fall two steps back? They're dedicated, determined, and driven, but only a few finally break through and win. This show uncovers those quantum leap patterns of highly successful people, so you can simply model what they do and apply to your future success that's the question and the answers are right here my name is brigitte Huffele, and this is the success pattern show and happy tuesday everyone my name is brigitte Huffele. this is the success pattern show we are here to put the do in learn do teach i'm the founder of the success pattern movement and the ceo of the center of nlp and let's take success pattern apart just for a quick moment because people uh think they know what success is and they try to define success and make it like a perfect definition but the perfect definition for success does not exist because success is shaped it's an interesting thing it shapes its meaning within each individual person that is seeking success or that already has success. And it's not limited to either business or personal life. It is, it can happen wherever you decide you wanna have success, however that looks like. It might involve money, it might not involve money. It might involve being of service, it might not be uh, involve being of service. So you decide what success is. And success is modeled in patterns, strategies and behavior. And when you are able to have enough pattern strategies and people that you can model from, then you can also define success even more precisely for yourself. And in the show, we're now looking at the patterns. In the show, we are decoding these patterns of our guest expert success. Um, So you can then encode it for yourself in your own life however you wanna define success and whatever success uh, is for you. So that's the success part. The pattern part is an example for others to follow. So the question then is, which example do you wanna follow? We have an array of incredible guest experts. And as we are going through these guest experts, this is not the Brigida show. This is about our guest experts. This is about decoding and encoding success patterns. And we are learning Hands-on from living teachers, from living guest experts, because we're not theoreticians. I don't know about you. I'm not a theoretician because they only talk a good game, but they don't kind of walk it. They're grand masters at work here, and we're going to give you the tips on how to model success. That means that you are at the right place at the right time right here. That's what we're all about. Success is already yours. So stay tuned at the end of the show. We have a special gift for you and you want to make some notes on that. By the way, you want to make some notes either way. So if you have not have something to write with and something to write on, now is the time to get that because we have a great show coming up. Today's show is all about leaders are learners and we only learn when we go through challenges we only learn when we are able to work through whatever other people might see as a failure or mistake Um, and there is a real process in that and my Guest expert is a real expert in that as well. He's an author, he's a speaker, he's a consultant, he's a podcaster. I actually was invited on his podcast. He's an entrepreneur. In his 25 year career, his passion has been creating that culture of continuous improvement, not just in organizations, but in organizations ranging from manufacturing, software, and hospitals. He has a bachelor's degree in industrial engineering from Northwestern University and an MBA in mechanical engineering from MIT. Uh, if you know anything about engineering, and I come from a country where engineering is kind of a big thing, MIT is definitely the place that you want to vet your people. He's the he's the host of multiple podcasts, including My Favorite Mistake. And I love that podcast. We had so much fun on his podcast. And he's the author of. Four books. So, ladies and gentlemen, I have the one, the only Mark Raven here with us. Mark, welcome.
1: Hey, Brigida. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, it's good to have you here. Mark, um, the, you know, learning from mistakes and um, uh, what was the podcast called again? Your favorite mistakes.
1: My favorite mistake.
0: Yes. My favorite mistake. Where did that come from? How did, how was that born?
1: There were a couple of things that um, came together and and maybe this is a success habit now that you make me think of it is that I'm willing or able to pull together um, different pieces of um, ideas or uh, my life that I'm exposed to. So for one, you know, one of those books that I wrote, I was really the editor of it. I wrote the first two chapters and had 15 other authors. Uh, It was a book called Practicing Lean. So a lot of the work I do, there's this this term lean that comes from lean manufacturing, or we might talk about lean healthcare or lean startups. And this idea of practicing lean was to write a book that talked about this practice. And when we're new at something, whether that's riding a bike or playing an instrument or what have you, we're probably not going to be very good at it yet, but we keep practicing. And I think the same thing applies in professional settings. So in in the book, the first couple of chapters, I shared stories of mistakes that I made in the first couple of years of my career, mistakes that I recognized, I reflected on, I learned from. And then I I had this idea, maybe I could find others in my field who would be willing to do the same thing, not to dwell on our mistakes, but just to remind ourselves and to remind others, like don't be too hard on somebody who's new to a field or a practice or a discipline. And that idea stuck with me. Um, You know, I I, I had an opportunity, uh, I've been hosting my original podcast for about 16 years now, which is in this niche we call lean management. And I would get pitched different guests and I would have to say, no, they sound great, but they don't fit the, the narrow casting that I'm doing. And summer of 2020, I got a pitch Would I want to interview um, Kevin Harrington, who was one of the original sharks on the show Shark Tank? And I thought, I got to stop saying no to opportunities (laughs) like this. Like, how do I clearly find a a way to say yes? And so brainstorming with uh, the guest bookers and a couple PR people, would anyone actually be willing to share a story about a mistake? Kevin Harrington's people said, yes, yes, he would. And he was my first guest. And so he was amazing. He told a great story and how he learned, you know, from that mistake that almost put himself out of business. Right. So it's a pretty vulnerable story that he told. And, and so now um, I've I've interviewed almost 200 people and asked them all that same question. What's your favorite mistake. And, and and the other thing that came together was my love of music and the Sheryl Crow song, my favorite mistake. So that was the inspiration for that part of it.
0: Now, you, you just mentioned it, right? That admitting to mistakes that we make, and I think the more we are aware of some of the drastic mistakes we made mm-hmm. um, r- will really propel us forward. How yep. can we equip, and, I, and I'm speaking to all of my HR people out there, how can we equip employees to actually embrace mistakes own it and learn from Mm -hmm. it. Can we bottle that maybe and sell it? Yeah.
1: Well, so there's two pieces of it, right? How do we encourage individuals to even recognize it and make a mistake to yourself, even if it's in your own head? As organizations, leaders have to make it safe for people to use their voice and to speak up about it, right? So if I'm in a workplace, Where I know I'm going to be ridiculed, blamed, shamed, punished, if not fired for doing this very human thing called making a mistake, I'm not going to have the psychological safety to speak up about that, right? So I think leaders have to do more than just say, hey, you should point out mistakes. We need to make it safe for them to do so because admitting a mistake or being able to point out a mistake is the first step in understanding Why the mistake occurred and can we prevent it from happening again as individuals or as a team or as a as a company that that becomes really powerful.
0: What I'm hearing you say is. Companies should have a culture of inviting feedback. Uh And. And. And if, if we would, you know, look at the big Fortune 50, Fortune 500, com- Fortune 100, Fortune 500 companies, wouldn't that be beautiful if we would have that kind of culture? But let me back up a little bit more. Wouldn't it be beautiful if we had in all of our schools an opportunity mm-hmm. for our kids to actually learn from their mistakes rather yeah. than just going through, here's a problem, here's one way to solve it, now go solve it that way?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's, there's this habit, I think, sometimes uh, in schools where, uh, that imprints kids on the idea of you need to know the answer instead of being willing to discover the answer. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there's a famous exercise. I, I forget who created it, but um, you have teams of people and, and your task, your competition is to take um, simple ing- uh, materials like raw spaghetti, Marshmallows, maybe it's just spaghetti and marshmallows, but build the tallest.
0: Yeah, I think it's marshmallows.
1: Yeah, build the tallest tower that you can within a, a limited time frame. So it sounds like an engineering challenge, but it's really maybe you know this this cultural mirror um, where where it's said that children, like kindergartners, end up performing better and and build taller towers than MBA students. And I, I'm throwing stones in my own MBA glass house. Because you know what the difference is, MBA students think they know the answer and that they can talk their way to the answer. So they will debate and they will plan. And then at the very last minute, try to execute that plan and underperform the kids who naturally do what? They start playing. They start experimenting. And they learn from those early failures or mistakes. And they end up building taller towers than the well-educated Super smart adults, right? So it's almost more of like, how do we not uh, remove that instinct, whether it's in the education system or in the workplace? And I think a lot of it, you think of a leader's modeling behavior, a leader who's willing to say, I don't know, but let's figure it out. A leader who's willing to say, I have an idea, let's try it and see if it works, leaving open the possibility that we try it and it doesn't work. Like that's much more powerful and leads to more success than knowing we have the answer and plowing ahead and being blind to feedback or ignoring the feedback and being defensive and rationalizing and being so afraid to admit that we had an idea that that didn't pan out. So this applies to um, entrepreneurship. It applies to environments. I work mostly in healthcare. So you talk about Fortune 50 companies and how beneficial it would be to have this culture. Uh, in healthcare, like it literally is a matter of life and death. When you don't have a culture that learns from mistakes, and when you don't have a culture that provides the psychological safety to bring forward mistakes, like quite literally more people are going to die next year because of a culture that as people in in healthcare, unfortunately, um, talk about a culture of naming, blaming and shaming when something goes wrong. And it's incredibly counterproductive. And again, it's, it's a deadly, it's deadly to the patients when that culture gets in the way of learning and improving.
0: What I hear you say is the three words in a, in that, in that short sentence, I know that <laughs> will not allow, you. tell me more about, I know that what happens.
1: Yeah. yeah. Well, when, when we make that declarative statement of I know the answer. We don't want to be proven wrong. We don't want to admit that we're wrong. And, you know, I think one, one healthy thing in a, in a culture, again, whether you're an entrepreneur in the early stages of a startup, or you're in a a large um, multi-site health system is, is is to have a hypothesis instead of having an answer or a solution, Mm. right? To go Mm. and test, to, and to maybe even do a small test of change. Like, let, me, let me share one example. Like There's a health system. I wasn't involved in this work, but I've heard them tell the story. They had an idea that they, there was a problem to solve, that they needed to provide transportation to patients as part of their health care. Now, in the knowing mode, someone might say, well, I know this idea is going to work. I know patients would utilize the service. Therefore, I know we should go and buy a fleet of vans. But when you have that more experimental improvement mindset and you say, well, I could be wrong. So let's rent a van first. Let's test and see if this hypothesis is true or not. Would patients utilize this van ride service? And if you test it with the rented van and you find out, oh, people are using this, and then you might have a better idea of how many vans to go buy. And if if somehow it turns out where... Patients are for whatever reason uncomfortable using or asking for that ride, then you return the rental van and you learned something and maybe you find a different way to try to solve that patient transportation problem. But there's these different mindsets of, again, knowing the answer versus going and trying something and evaluating it honestly.
0: Is, does that have to do with kind of questioning the status quo at all times? you think?
1: I think that's a powerful success pattern, is being willing to challenge the way it's always been done. Now, if somebody wants to do that in an organization, this comes back to leadership and culture and psychological safety, where there are some cultures that are really good at tamping down, I think, that human instinct to want to do things better. And I, and I can think of, but here's a clear, uh, hopefully clear compare and contrast. Are you an organization that brings in a new employee and then when that employee says well why do we do it this way are you an organization that says basically maybe more politely than this hey shut up you're new here you don't understand how we do things this is the way we've always done it or are you an organization that that values if not treasures the perspective of um, what you might call it, you know, fresh eyes. Uh, when, when people are new to the organization, that's such a gift. That's such an opportunity, if you're open to it, to make it safe for people and to invite. Hey, if there, and, and I've been in a situation like this recently in one company I've been involved in, of, of, of asking uh, this woman we've hired, please, please if, if you see anything that doesn't make sense, if you see anything that you think could be better, we're open to that. Please speak up. But then I have to practice what I preach, right? So I was going I say, to say that, yeah. <laughs> if I say, hey, speak up, and then I poo-poo the first thing that's brought up, she's going to learn, oh, Mark doesn't really mean it. Or if I say, we have a culture of learning from mistakes, and then if I snap at her the first time there's some kind of you know, typical human mistake that occurs, You know, I've, I've got to practice what I preach. And, and, and I think that's a success pattern as well.
0: For sure. The, the, that's what I said at the very beginning as I was introducing the show. We're not just talking the talk. We're walking the walk. And yeah. talking the talk is easy. I think we can agree on that. Walking sure. the walk and being in alignment with what we say is a whole other thing. Now, you being clearly a very wise man, not just in what you have studied in, in university, but just in, in the nature of who you are. Um, I had a conversation with a similarly wise man yesterday and we were talking about you know, his upbringing and what he did to be so curious. There's a curiosity. When we invite feedback, there's also a curiosity mm-hmm. of how, you know, what can I do? And have I looked at all of the angles? And I went way back with him when he was a little boy And I said, "Um, has your parent ever bought you like an old radio? And he's like, oh, my goodness, that was the best gift that I ever got was an old radio that I got to take apart and put back together. And even if I wasn't able to put it back together all the way, I still managed it. What did you like to play with?
1: It's funny. I'm an, you know, I am an engineer. I don't think I ever did that thing as a kid of taking something apart and putting it back together. You know, I, I guess I'm not wired that way, but I mean, I think I, I, I do um, have a curiosity and, you know, I think I've always had this, this eagerness to learn and, and to learn new things um, that can sometimes be a trap if we're trying to learn too many new things and that leads us to want to do new things. But I mean, I I think a sense of curiosity is uh, something to be appreciated. It can lead to distraction, which I have to be careful about. Mm -hmm. But I mean, again, like I just think of this idea of it's, it's easy to say we're a learning organization, but okay, what does that really mean in terms of daily behavior, what behaviors are leaders modeling, hopefully good behaviors. And you know, I think back, someone I worked with more than 20 years ago, uh, a guy named Ted Ryback, who I think was the first person who I heard use this phrase. He was talking about the, the consulting firm that he ran. He said, uh, "Describe themselves, we are not a know-it-all organization. We are a learn-it-all organization. Mm-hmm. And I think that 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 really made an impression on me. I think that's a great ideal to strive for.
0: For sure. So, although you, it seems like to me you didn't construct things. You got really good at mm. deconstructing mistakes uh. or finding other <laughs> yeah. ways to solve problems. Yeah. Um, did. And out of that, and out of your curiosity, looking back now, what would you say, man, I wish I would have known this like years and decades ago. What do you wish that you would have learned much earlier in life?
1: So I've, I've maybe already alluded to it when I talk about like curiosity and that running the risk of distraction. Um, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll share something here that I recently I, I knew about myself, but I was in denial about for at least 25 years and finally got confirmation, meaning a diagnosis that uh, I am ADHD. And getting that formal diagnosis means I can, in, instead of just being in the denial of it or thinking like I just needed to try harder, like when there were times when I realized um, I'm really struggling to pay attention, not because I'm not interested, like, it's something I am really interested in, and I, I, I just get so distracted. Um, I, I, I wish I had taken that more seriously to the point of talking to a counselor, talking to a physician. It is very undiagnosed, especially in adults. ADHD, uh, you know, it's surprising when a lot of people, it can be sort of adult onset, and it tends to get worse if not treated. Um, so I would say, I mean, I've I've been successful. I I I feel like though there are times when I have missed out on things because of some of these ADHD tendencies that I haven't really um, properly addressed. So 48 years old, two months into this diagnosis and to treatment, um, it's been a it's been a helpful process. I wish that's something I had learned and take action on 10, if not 20 years ago.
0: And what do you do? You feel you're broken? Do you feel that there's something wrong with you? And I'm putting all of that in air quotation sure. marks because right, it's, right. it's a genuine question.
1: Yeah, not wrong, but different, right? So, mm. as much as we wouldn't want to blame somebody, you know, for being uh, type one diabetic, you know, something that you're born with, it's 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 believed, you know, in the medical community that that ADHD is a difference in the wiring of um, the ADHD brain, not wrong, but just atypical of society as a whole. Like it's roughly five to 10% um, of people who could be described as you know, uh, ADHD. And so, you know, I've, I've, I've tried to learn, um, like, I, I don't think it's, I'm trying to think how to frame it. Like when I think of moments when I have not been properly attentive to let's say somebody who's teaching a class or somebody who's giving a presentation at a conference or in a meeting that I'm participating in there's there's two sides of it one is like what I'm losing out on because I'm not really listening I'm not really learning and I want to be learning but I get distracted and thoughts and doing things but then the second side of that coin is times where I fear that it, through, through, through my actions or inattentiveness that I'm inadvertently sending a message that I don't at all tend to send and it's not even true of people looking at, well, Mark doesn't care. Mark's not interested. And, and, and you know, uh, it's just, that's that's part of why, you know, I've started to take this seriously. It's not just about like, oh, what's lacking in me, but how, how can I be more present in a way that's more, Respectful to others. Um, how can I be more effective in my work? And you know, how can I be more effective as teams that I'm a part of? So yeah. So the shorter answer is no, not broken, just different. Um, I, I I can, you know, uh, it doesn't change who I am to to get treatment for ADHD. It helps me be more of who I want to be.
0: Yeah, I honor you for for that. And, um, I think nowadays, if, you know, we come from the same generation, if we would look back and we were kids and we were diet, you know, if we would have had all the knowledge that we have today around ADHD, um, I think there would be a lot of kids, including myself going, oh yeah, total ADHD. Right. And, and, and you're right. And that's the point that I wanted you to make is there's nothing wrong with you just knowing who you Mm -hmm. are, and so you can then be the greatest version
1: of yourself. That and the other thing I would add is that I can stop shaming myself Mm. for not paying attention or for, Mm -hmm. um, you know, the second side of that ADHD coin, it's, um, you know, it it comes down to impulse control. And that can be impulse in terms of what I'm thinking about or what I'm doing. It can also be impulse control in terms of letting emotion out and sort of, sudden uh, emotional ways and that and that's not like that's it's not a quote-unquote anger management problem but it's sort of like this this um inability sometimes to uh control the impulse of blurting something out or reacting instead of you know trying to soothe yourself or take a breath and you know it's been more in the matter you know uh, of prof- the realm of professional relationships where i feel like you know i've i've reacted to things where maybe i was in the right to be frustrated about something, but the way I sort of impulsively reacted wasn't helpful, and mm-hmm. you know, uh, I, I, you know, I don't want to damage workplace relationships. Yeah, that matter to me because of some of this. So that that's that's part of you know, I, I haven't been fired, I haven't had a rock bottom moment because of any of this, but um, thankfully, there's that recognition that um, I, I can be a better version of myself.
0: And on top of that, me looking from the outside in, you've created all of these incredible podcasts and giving on your wisdom, not just from your point of view, but from your guest expert's point of view. And um, there's a lot of value in that as well. So I, I honor you for not guilt-tripping yourself or shaming yourself anymore. You, you mentioned at the very beginning of our conversation today lean management and really diving into that, is that something that you intentionally model or what else would you say you are using as a model for your success?
1: So I I, I do try to model these behaviors that I've touched on and I would describe it as being part of this, if you will, lean culture, this organizational culture, this leadership style of times when I've been put to the test in terms of how do I react to a mistake that somebody else makes, mm. right? So you know, I talked about the element of ADHD of sometimes not being able to hold things in. You know, Thankfully, I, I think I haven't completely fallen down. I think I've, I've had a good track record of trying to model um, being kind to somebody when they've made a mistake. Because in some of these situations I can think of in, in, in different workplaces, when someone knows they've made a mistake, they're already going to feel bad enough. Like you don't need to pile on. And there, there's, there's one element of like, you know, thinking of like an engineer and thinking of this lean culture, we often focus a lot on problem solving. Let's do some root cause analysis. But one thing I've learned and, and I think I've modeled is instead of being too quick to jump into what happened, how can we prevent it? You also sometimes need to step back and ask, how are you feeling? Are Are you okay? Like, and give someone the space to sort of process feeling bad about the mistake before it's comfortable enough to then go into problem solving mode. And sometimes that might just take a couple of minutes, but even trying to show the grace of saying it's okay. Yeah. Can really help a lot.
0: When you when you create that culture of allowing that person to work through it, you're going to have more of those work through opportunities mm-hmm. and sure. therefore the company is going to be more profitable because it has that culture.
1: Yeah. And, and, and part of that culture and, and part of the inspiration for what we would refer to as lean manufacturing comes from Toyota. And when I've interviewed, uh, if people go and listen to my favorite mistake, the episodes with former Toyota people, one of whom was uh, an American, one uh, who was Japanese, and these stories were at least 20 years apart. One was literally in Japan, one was in Kentucky. The stories of that Toyota culture of an employee making a mistake that was actually very costly to the company and leaders responding by, by basically recognizing that wasn't your mistake, we, meaning the company, meaning the team, we set you up to fail. Ooh, and you know, instead of shaming or punching or firing that person, I, I think again, it's a, it's a much more constructive response and a culture to step back and ask not who did that, but why was that able to occur? And realizing people don't want to make mistakes. People don't want to do the wrong thing. Um, so we, we, we shouldn't shame them when they make a mistake. Um, we're, we're all human. We all make mistakes. Some of us are willing to admit it. Some of us are willing to reflect and, you know, try to move forward instead of just being in denial. So I think one other pattern, one other thing I'll add real quick is, you know, for the almost 200 people, including yourself, including Kevin Harrington from Shark Tank, you know, people who come on the show, people who are very successful in, in so many different fields and, and professions, like if, if anybody thought, I bet these people are successful because they've made fewer mistakes, it's probably, no. It's probably more that they have actually maybe made more mistakes, but they're willing right. to be aware of them, to reflect on them, to learn from them without beating themselves up, Yeah. right? Not dwelling on it. Um, I, if anything, I think people who are successful take more risks and are more in that mode of trying new things, I'm either going to succeed or I'm going to learn. I mean, it's a bit of a cliche. Uh, oh, it's not a failure. It's a learning opportunity. But I think it—I it that actually is a meaningful thing to to believe.
0: I agree. I agree. You wrote four books and you yep. brought one uh, for our folks to share with, with everyone on this call. It is called The Measures of Success mm-hmm. by Mark Rabin. How do people get... Uh, a hold of your book.
1: So it's uh, available uh, primarily through Amazon uh, as a paperback or a Kindle book. Uh, it's uh, available through a few other online uh, resellers, but Amazon's probably the um, the easiest place if people are Amazon shoppers. And you know, it's a it's a book. Um, it's it's uh, a management book. And when we talk about measures of success like what are the things we're measuring as a team as a startup as a large business and as as the book sort of the the cover sort of suggests there's this idea of uh this roller coaster we may draw a chart with our performance metrics it's going up and down and we're actually trying to help get people off this emotional roller coaster of getting too excited when the numbers are better getting too upset when the numbers are down um, the subtitle of the book is meant to be sort of a summary of the lessons here of um, react less, lead better, improve more.
0: Beautiful. Get the book, uh, Measures of Success by Mark Rabin. Mark, uh, you, there were so many incredible uh, wise nuggets that we discussed today and that you dropped. How do people get in touch with you?
1: Uh, so my website is markgraben.com. Uh, I, can, I can be found on LinkedIn. I'm, I'm pretty active on um, LinkedIn, sharing ideas and articles and, and resources that I think are, you know, thought provoking or helpful around these ideas of, you know, how do we create an organizational culture that has some of these success patterns um, built in? So really focusing a lot on, on leadership and improvement and, and culture change. I hope people would come You'll find me or follow me or participate, better yet, participate um, in discussions that I lead on LinkedIn.
0: Yeah. And uh, Reach Your Peak says, great show, you too. Yes, I agree totally. Thank you for uh, watching. So, guys, uh, Mark Graben, G R A B A N.com, mm-hmm. is the website. Go ahead, get the book, um, read all of his books, uh, listen in on his podcasts. Uh, my favorite mistake is one of my fa- my favorite mistake right there. Just and I, I love the branding of it too, because it's like penciled and you can erase. And that's, <laughs> yeah. if it, it is that simple. It is that simple. I yeah. love it, Mark. Mark, thank you for being here. Uh, come back very soon. We're going to talk about something else next time, but it also always goes back to the success patterns. Um, it always goes back to, What is it that drives us and how do we encode it? How do we decode it so you can then encode it? Thanks, Mark, for being here. I appreciate you. Uh, I appreciate you guys tuning in. And before I let you go, I am going to read you um, an excerpt of the Paul Simon lyrics of his song Patterns, and it goes, my eyes can dimly see the pattern of my life and the puzzle that is me. From the moment of my birth to the instant of my death, there are patterns I must follow just as I must breathe each breath. My life is made of patterns. Thank you guys for being here. Until next week, same time, same place, Success Pattern Show. Ciao and bye for now. Bye. Thank you for tuning in to the Success Pattern Show at www thesuccesspatternshow.com. My name is Brigitte Hoofala.